The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. show to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald. I get to be your host today and I get to introduce some of the most awesome people on the planet and today uh, is no exception. We have a gentleman and I forgot to ask him because there's two ways that I could go with your last name and one of the and I'm always if I when I have a 50% chance of being right I'm always wrong so um, that's why I don't gamble because it, it doesn't work out well. So Ed uh, Dobby, is that right? That's absolutely correct, Kevin. Oh. You got it right the first time. All right. He whiz. That's, that's, for me, that's that's a plus. So um, Ed Dobby is, is with us. He's a PhD. He has spent his life working with uh, people and um, emotions, and he's written a couple of books on the subject. Um, he was part of the uh, correctional system for juveniles in in his youth and um, he realized that after he retired that we don't we don't do a great deal with our, a great job with our emotions and a lot of our emotions are misunderstood and why they're there and stuff so i'm hoping that we can have a real good discussion and we can kind of clean that up for you and uh, so that you can use them as an asset rather than a liability would that be a fair statement to make sir I would say that's absolutely a fair statement. I would go a little bit farther, and I want to talk about how to strategically deploy your emotions as tools to make your life better and your relationships as well. That's that's really cool because every we whether we want to admit it or not, and some of us grew up in households and nobody wanted to admit they had any emotions. Mm -hmm. I grew up in one of those, and I, I believe you did as well. I did as well. And so when you grow up in a household like that, it's hard for you to understand your emotions, let alone get a hold of them and use them for the good that they can bring you. And that's that's why it's it's really important conversation to have. In fact, let me kind of give a context for that. When I was an intern um, working on my my Ph.D., I went to a it was called Henry Olaf House in San Francisco, and it's an alcoholic treatment program. And I never had any problem with drugs or alcohol. But I went to my, the director of the program at the time was living next door to my family in San Francisco. So I asked this guy, I said, hey, I said, can I sit in on your groups? Because I want to learn how to deal with alcoholics and uh, people who have drug problems. And he looked at me and he said, no. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, he said, you can't sit in, but what you can do is you can be a participant observer. And I thought, well, that's a piece of cake. I'm a, about to get my PhD. I have my PhD. I'm about to go on my own. I can handle this. Kevin, it took him six months. And when, when they finally broke through, they labeled me a non-drinking alcoholic. I'd never <laughs> heard the term before. But what they meant was 
they avoided their emotions by drinking or by using drugs. I avoided my emotions by going into my books and my academics. It was a real eye opener for me. That really, that, that really would be because like, I haven't had a drink in like 10 years. What, what the hell are you talking about? Exactly. And then, and then I get my first job, the only job I've, I've ever had, and I'm working for the California Youth Authority. And I'm working with not only training staff who are jaded about emotions, but I'm working with young women, all of whom have serious histories of abuse, all different kinds. And now here I am, and my language is up here as a, an academician, and their language is down here as pre-high school, if you will, and yep. I couldn't communicate. So I developed the, the concept of emotions as tools because the staff all learned had tools. They had either handcuffs or they had mace or whatever they had, and they learned how to use them. And the young women all had tools. They, had, they knew how to use a remote for their TV, and they knew how to use their cell phones. Once they began to see that emotions were just tools, now I took the, I demystified the idea of emotions. I made it something that they could relate to. And then my job was to explain to them what these tools were and how to use them. So it all fit together. So you grew up in a household that was uh, very, in your bio, it says really emotionless. And how did you come to terms with that? Was that after the six months with the, uh, with the drug and alcohol folks? Or did you, did, did you think over time that, you know, something's kind of missing? I don't know what it is. Well, that's exactly what I thought, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And my way of coping with that was to go inside my head. So I dealt with things cognitively. I explained things to myself. Oh, my sister's doing this. My father's doing that. When my mom died, my dad met me at the hospital and he apologized to me for crying. Well, for my dad's generation, you didn't show those kinds of emotions. That's true. And even today, by the way, we have similar display rules. Men are not allowed, if you will, to display things like sadness or anxiety. So what we do is we default to anger. And that's what my dad did, too. He would get angry. I imagine uh, I, one night I saw him, he got really pissed off and he's chasing my sister around the house with a, a chunk of roast beef. Now, I don't know what he would have done if he would have followed her or found her. My dad was never abusive, whether he'd have tossed the roast beef at her, who knows, but he never caught her. So it didn't matter. But this is what I saw. And again, what my so I figured, OK, I'm just not going to just get into this whole issue of emotions. They're messy. They don't seem to take us anywhere. And that's what people assume about emotions, that they're messy. And sometimes they are hard to understand. But what I want folks to understand is this. When you deny yourself access to emotions, it's like if I have to pound a nail into a, a board, well, it's better for me to use a hammer. But if I want to, I'm going to avoid the hammer, I'll try my shoe. It may work, but it's not nearly as effective or efficient. Right. It's best to use the proper tool to fit the job. And when you strategically deploy your emotions, that's what you're doing. So you're allowing the emotions to guide you, to give you information about how you're perceiving what's going on with you, and then to give you the opportunity to choose how you want to respond rather than emotionally react to what's happening to you. That's kind of how it all fits together. You know, I love the terminology you use because a lot of people misuse the words 
react and respond. Yes. And talk about that just a little bit if you Actually, would. In the emotion, let me explain the emotional process because all of us go through it. And we have, by the way, since we've lived in caves, we are constantly scanning our environment for threat. It's a holdover from, again, when we lived in caves. When we perceive a threat, what happens is the amygdala kicks in automatically and we experience an emotional reaction. We have no control over that. That happens. Once we experience the emotional reaction, now we, we have the ability, because of the cerebral cortex, to assess what's going on and then choose how we want to respond. And here's the difference. When we lived in caves, every threat was a survival-based threat. Those saber-toothed tigers out there, the marauders from another camp, they would, in fact, kill us. But today, most of our threats are psychological. And where the problem comes in, we look at the emotional reaction as if, and as if is critical here, as if it's accurately reflecting what's going on with us. And it isn't, because most of our threats are psychological. It's a threat to my ego. It's a threat to my goals. It's a threat to the way I think things should be, but aren't. So if we understand that we're dealing with psychological threats, that is extremely empowering. Because now we have the ability to say, wait a minute, what's actually going on? What do I need to do? Am I perceiving it correctly? And what options do I have for dealing with it? Or the other choice is there's really nothing going on. I'll, I mean, I'll give an example. I teach at a local university here. And when I before I go to class and I prepare and so forth, so I left my office and I'm driving to my class and I'm experiencing anxiety. Now for me, my physical reaction for anxiety is my stomach starts to churn. So my stomach's churning. So I have two options here. I, I ask, well, okay, what's happening? Am I prepared for my lecture? Well, I am. Have I taken everything, taken care of everything at home? Yeah, called the wife before I left the office. Is everything okay at the office? Yeah, all in order. One choice would have been to say, you know, I'm experiencing anxiety, so I really must be in deep yogurt, and then to get more anxious. The other choice was to say, I don't know, maybe it's gas, who knows. But whatever it was, there was nothing to be anxious about, and I chose to let it go. That was using my anxiety as a strategic tool, because had it warned me that something was wrong, maybe I left my notes back at the office, I then could have acted on that and gone back to the office and got my notes. Right. Right. So it, it, it can be used for positive. It can also be used for negative. If you, if you allow it to, cause you can, your emotions, regardless of what they are, you can figure out why you're feeling the way that you're feeling and then make changes that will serve you better. And which is the difference in my mind between reacting, which is kind of an instantaneous thing Yep. And responding, which is more of a moment of contemplation before you uh, decide what it means. And then, this, is that right? That's exactly correct. And let me kind of uh, take a side pivot here for just a minute, because I'd like your listeners to understand something about the question of why. It's kind of a little been a, 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 a mission of, of mine to demystify why. When you ask a why question, as in bosses saying or parents saying, well, why did you do that? 
the first response you're going to get from the person you're directing your question to is an excuse. Because why is a multi-determined, behavior is multi-determined. So I would rather have people ask what. What am I feeling? What am I doing? What have you done? What was the goal you were trying to accomplish? Because what gets you to the answer you really want, which is the behavior in question. So I would encourage people to ask what rather than why. I'm not saying you can't use why. Just be aware of, of what it is you're asking when you ask a why question versus a what. Sorry for the digression. Does that make sense? Oh, no, absolutely. And and uh, to further that thought uh, is that um, if you're asking why, that not that kind of an accusatory term? It is. And if you're asking what, what were you thinking? Yes. Uh, that's, that is... In, in inviting them into a discussion of what was going on in their head rather than why were you doing that? Yes, you got it exactly, Kevin. And that's what I'm trying to get at. So with the feeling, instead of asking why am I feeling is what am I feeling and what's leading up to it? What's the perception that's generating the feeling that I'm experiencing and what do I want to do about it? Exactly. It's and then then anger is another good one along those points because you can be angry for a myriad of reasons, and sometimes they don't even have to do with the individual who you are angry at for any yes. reason. Yes, <clears throat> anger is a, a really good emotion to to talk about. Anger is labeled a negative emotion, and I I tend to shy away from looking at ang at any emotion as positive and negative, and and here's why because I'm very sensitive to language. When you label something as negative, what comes to mind is I need to eliminate it, as in I have a negative balance in my checkbook, certainly don't want that. I got a negative evaluation at work, don't want that. I have a negative emotion, don't want that. No, wait, yes, you do, and here's why. Men tend to use anger as what's called a secondary emotion, and because of that, it's been incorrectly labeled as a secondary emotion. Sometimes it is, and I'll explain what I mean here. With men, when we feel sadness, we default to anger because sadness is, we don't think that's good, that's not manly, or anxiety. Women, when they express anger, they get demeaned or put down for it. Correct. Years ago, I went on to a, a women's forum on LinkedIn, and I asked one question. I said, look, I'm a male, and I, I have a question. When you as a woman express anger, what happens? 2,000 responses later, the, the main gist of the response was, when I as a woman express anger, I get demeaned, put down, or labeled, so I can't do that. So women default to sadness. But getting back to anger, if we take a look at anger, what men do is we get angry, and then we use our anger as an excuse to justify the inappropriate behavior we've just exhibited. Well, dear, if I weren't so angry, I wouldn't have yelled at you. If I weren't so angry, I wouldn't have beat on you. If I weren't so angry, I wouldn't have you fill in the blank. The challenge with that is that if I as a male have been threatened, that is my work has been stolen at, at work or my family's threatened, well, my anger is extremely appropriate in that situation. And I want to use all of my anger to generate a response to deal with that threat. So I want, to, I want to teach men to be able to recognize when anger is a primary emotion, in which case you need to validate it and act on it, or 
when anger is a secondary emotion, in which case you need to be honest with yourself and understand the emotion you're trying to avoid by showing anger. That makes perfect sense because what we, what men do, well, just as an example, um, when a woman in business, a manager, say, is very forthright, very matter-of-fact, and sometimes shows anger as an emotion. Yes. She is that out-of-control bitch. When a man does the same thing in the same scenario, he is a powerful leader. Exactly. You hit it right on the head. And that's the challenge that I'm trying to overcome by empowering both men and women to be able to use their emotions. Now, for that boss, by the way, she might have to keep her anger, but not display it. She might have to keep her anger and use the energy of that anger in order to accomplish whatever end she's setting out to do or what she's trying to accomplish. So she uses the energy of the anger, but not expressing anger, and maybe she goes at it indirectly instead of directly. Now, as a boss, it wouldn't matter. She probably could get angry anyway. But if she's a subordinate who's justifiably angry because she has an abusive boss, now she needs to use her anger to figure out how to get around that boss, how to change that boss, or how to work with that boss, or ultimately to find another job. And women are, are actually really gifted at that because they've had to do it their whole lives. That's correct. Men men are not nearly as gifted at, at finding or using, using anger in a constructive way rather than just blowing off steam. Because that's, you know, that's what we do is it's kind of like, you know, well, I just... I got I got pissed off, so I had to blow off some steam and stuff. And and then when the steam is gone, then they don't seek or they're not able to deal with the thing that made them angry in the first place because they're not angry anymore. Yes. Or or, or Kevin, what happens is this. So I get angry. So I'm, I something happens to me. I do something wrong and I feel guilty. And the message of guilt is I've done something wrong. So I feel guilty because I've screwed up. Now, I'm not real good with guilt, so what I do is I get angry to cover over the guilt. Now I'm angry and I do something additionally stupid, and now I feel really dumb about having done something stupid because I was angry. And now I feel shame, which is there's something wrong with me, can't deal with shame, so I go back to anger, and now I'm in a vicious cycle and I'm totally screwed and <laughs> ineffective. <laughs> That, that, that is so true. And so many of us go through that cycle and then we repeat that cycle over and over. And it gives like a dishwasher. It just repeats. And, yes. and it's, it's not, it's not healthy. And nor, and not only is it not healthy, it doesn't get us where we want to go. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. And what men need to learn how to say is, you know what? I screwed up. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Then I don't have to go to anger. I can just stick with the guilt, which is an appropriate feeling if I've messed up, acknowledge that I've done something wrong. And it's not, it's, it, it's, there's nothing unmanly about saying I messed up. It's strength, if you will. Well, because it's you. It, it's, yeah, because it's me. Now, if I can admit that and I can come from a position of strength, now I'm empowered to deal with other people and myself around the event and not around the emotions, which I'm applying to the event, perhaps inappropriately. And, and most of the time we do apply it inappropriately because we're letting our emotions get the better of us. 
rather than doing it doing it in a thoughtful manner we do it in a reactionary manner that's absolutely correct and one of the biggest myths about emotion is that emotions control us it's a myth because it's not true now there's some basis in it as i explained before because the initial reaction yeah we are being controlled we have no no that's unconscious or subconscious that happens but the myth is so devastating because we think or we believe that all of our emotions control us. And as long as we do that, we don't take responsibility for either our behavior or our emotions, and we blame others, and that gets into another vicious cycle. So what we need to understand is, no, our emotions don't control us. We can learn to master them. And when we do, we become stronger and more empowered, both men and women. By the way, we're talking with uh, uh, Ed Dobby, and uh, he's written a couple of books, and you can go to Amazon and pick up his books. The first one is Emotions as a Tool of Self-Help Guide to Controlling Your Life, Not Your Feelings. And the second book is Beyond Anger Management. And uh, Beyond Anger, yes. Go on. Master, master Your Anger as a tr Strategic Tool. That's the one right there. And if you want to go to, you have a website, yes? I do. It's called theemotionsdoctor.com, T-H-E-E-M-O-T-I-O-N-S-D-O-C-T-O-R.com. And The Emotions Doctor, how did you come up with the title? <laughs> Call yourself that. Well, given where I started out, um, I surprise myself every time I think about it. When I retired, I needed a way to label myself. And I thought, well, since I'm going to be talking about emotions, and since I've learned to master my own emotions, and by the way, I need to tell your audience, you never get perfect at it. Even though I have all this knowledge, I still mess up. So I have to remind myself to do what I teach others to do. Having said that, I thought the emotions doctor encompasses really what I'm trying to get across. So I adopted it. It's a, it's really is a, as they say in marketing, that is a really good branding mechanism right there. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's, it's, it's really, it's really cool. And I got to ask you of all the negative emotions of fear, of hate, of anger, of jealousy, which is, which is in your mind or in your research, the most, uh, um, difficult to master in my mind, I think it's probably jealousy but it, it could be something else. What, what, what do you think? You know, I would think jealousy as well. But I think because, well, yeah, I would say jealousy because what the message of jealousy is that the message of envy is you have something that, that, that I want. The message of, of jealousy is I have to, I am less because you have what I want. So I'm jealous of you. And so that encompasses not only my self-image, but also how I'm going to relate to you. So I think jealousy probably is, is one of the, the more difficult emotions to deal with. I wouldn't call it negative because it tells me how I'm perceiving the world. But having said that, that's the one that I think is, is probably most insidious. Now, when it comes to society, anger has to take that role because of, of the way we just don't deal with anger and how people get angry and they do stupid things. So I think jealousy is probably one of the more difficult to deal with, but because it's it's it doesn't come up that often, 
I think it's probably less of an issue than is anger. And when you combine the two, that's where you get a lot of, you know, jealousy and anger combined. You get people doing things like, I don't know, like hurting their spouse or killing their spouse or doing something out of, of, they call it a jealous rage or, or, which is, and which is counterproductive for yourself because you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail, but you're also either taking another life or permanently impacting another life. Neither yes. is appropriate. Right. Now, there's another one that has the same kind of cycle, and it's called hate. Ah. Now, hate's a, 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 if there was a bad emotion, hate would be it. And here's why. Because what tends to happen with hate, the, the message of hate is not only are you a bad person, you are devil incarnate, and that's what hate tells me about how I see you. But if I hate you, I need to eliminate you. Now, when you combine hate and anger, that's a bad combination. And sadly, we've seen that relatively recently in our country. We have. Uh, a lot more than, than I would love, like to see it. It's, it's been, when you're talking about um, uh, hate and, um, and anger and leads to white supremacy and, and uh, other people are less than rather yes. than us realizing that we're all equal and we're all together and we're all united and we're all one, we tend to break ourselves into groups. This group is bad. And, and, and that's the message of hate. I don't think that there is, if again, that there's any, any role, if you will, for hate. I, if I had to eliminate one emotion, and I need to preface that, because if I'm willing to eliminate one emotion, then I have to say, well, what other emotions am I willing to eliminate? And I don't want to eliminate any emotions because I want people to learn how to master all of them. But hate is one that you want to avoid because, again, it's just it's so insidious. Hate then leads you not only to hate, but to demean, to belittle, and to nullify the existence of the object that you hate. And that never works out. It doesn't seem to me like hate has any, under any circumstances, any redeeming qualities, unless you hate rattlesnakes and so you're not going to go walk on it. Uh, yeah, and but I'd, I'd be cautious there because if I say I hate Brussels sprouts and I have, I've heard people say that, you don't want to eliminate Brussels sprouts, you just want to avoid them. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that, that's true. I can avoid Brussels sprouts pretty much all day long if I wanted to. Yes. I, I happen to like Brussels sprouts, by the way. I didn't as a kid. Right. And I didn't like lima beans either because my mom didn't do well with lima beans. But as, as an adult, I went over to a friend of mine's house and they cooked it in butter and I, I was sold. Now I'm, I'm lima beans, Brussels sprouts. I'm OK with both of them. But I agree with you. If we could relegate one emotion to the, the, the dung heap, it would be hate. That's in one of the one of the taglines I use for my show is it's about eliminating hate division and fear um talk about fear a little bit because that is also a very base emotion it is and there's a good there's a good reason to justify fear fear is a present based emotion it's in the here and now the message of and it's one of the primary emotions by the way it's one of the five primary emotions we're born with there's mad sad glad fear disgust and surprise Fear tells us that there is a threat out there and that threat may kill us or the threat will kill us. So fear prepares us to get out of that situation. If you're in a situation, let's say that you're in a, um, okay, here's a good example. 
you uh, are going, you're, you're going to get into an elevator. You or it could be a, a woman getting get ready to move, go into an elevator. And she sees somebody standing in that elevator and her fear kicks in. The fear is saying there's something to be avoided here. Yet her, her mind says, well, he looks okay. He, he's, what's the problem? Problem must be with me. No, honor your fear. Take the next elevator. Because fear is a very primitive, primal emotion that tells us you perceive a situation where your life is at risk. Honor it and get out of there. Now, there's a difference between fear and anxiety, although we tend to use them interchangeably. I'm afraid of the interview. I'm afraid of that. No, what you're not feeling, you're not feeling fear there. You're feeling anxiety. Anxiety is a future-based emotion, the message of which is there may be a threat and that threat may do me harm. When I experience anxiety, like my students do, they then can choose to use their anxiety as eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, which then motivates them to take action to avoid the threat, which would be to study for the exam or to study for the interview. The challenge with anxiety is most people experience it as distress, D-I-S-S-T-R-E-S-S, and that's immobilizing. And then what they get into is, is they begin to catastrophize. Oh, I'm worried about the, the exam. I don't, I'm not prepared for the exam. If I don't prepare for the exam, I'm going to fail. If I, don't, if I fail the exam, I'm not going to be able to graduate. And they go to the worst possible solution and react as if that were the only possibility. That's called catastrophizing, and it's anxiety as distress, which is immobilizing. Now, here's another thing that most people don't know or think about. There's another face to anxiety, if you will, and that's called anticipation. Anticipation is a future-based emotion, the message of which is something good's going to happen, and I can't wait to get there. Bring it on. So if I'm anxious about an interview and I prepare for it, I'm ready to go. Now, when I look at that interview, I'm saying, I'm ready. Bring it on. That's anticipation. It's a future-based emotion, which is kind of the opposite side or opposite face of anxiety. And when we talk about, and that, that, that's really cool about anxiety, but when we're talking about fear, fear at times can lead to an unreasonable, you know, there's one acronym that people use for fear, which is false evidence appearing real. Yes, and uh, so when somebody is fearful, as an example, of another group of people, an ethnic group, perhaps, or somebody who doesn't live the way you live, and that fear can turn into an unreasonable um, preoccupation with your mind that can then turn into hate and can then turn into anger. And so it can be the root of, of all these other emotions if you don't handle it properly. Is that right? It is, but it isn't necessarily... It it could be fear. If I fear that that group is out to hurt me, then it's fear. But if it's, if it's anxiety, anxiety in the form of, I'm not quite sure what that group is going to do. I'm concerned about them. I don't like them. They, they appear to be up to no good. Now, if that's anxiety, now I need to use that anxiety to, to, to motivate me to take action on how I'm going to deal with that group. Am I going to avoid the group? Am I going to protest against the group? What am I going to do? But I need to recognize that if it's fear that I'm experiencing, then I need to ask, what's the nature of the threat? In that particular case, 
when I ask what's the nature of the threat, that will give me a clue as to what I'm seeing in that group that's leading me to want to avoid them. So, so you're, using, you're using the emotion strategically to give you information about how you want to respond. So as an example, if you are talking, if you are, I don't know, a, a blue collar guy in, in Michigan, and you're scared that there's going to be somebody who may not look like you, who's going to take your job or, and because they're coming into the country or whatever the scenario is, is that, is that more anxiety or is that more fear-based? I would label that more as, as anxiety. And, and the reason I would, there, there's a real possibility that that person who doesn't look like you may take your job. There's a real possibility of that. And I would want to acknowledge that rather than simply saying, oh, you're being irrational. But to then go out and possibly shoot that person that doesn't look like you? No, that's not rational. Maybe what you need to do is figure out how to and I don't want to go too far out on a limb here, but figure out what you need to, need to do to secure your own job, to secure your own safety, and, and take that approach. Maybe you need to unionize. I don't know. So, so a, positive, a positive way of using anxiety and or fear is, is to then to take that emotion and recognize it and then say, okay, I can't control anything outside of myself but I can control myself and I can get more education. I can, I can learn how to do something a little bit differently so that I can do it better and, uh, and be more successful within myself rather than blaming somebody else that they're going to do something to me because nobody can do anything to you except yourself. Am I, am I close? You're, you're absolutely right on. But I would add to that. If you're concerned about your neighborhood, then maybe you can go out and organize a neighborhood watch. There you go. So there are things that you can do, but you need to ask yourself, what is the nature of the threat that I perceive? And what are my options for dealing with that threat? And, and if I take those options, what's going to happen to me if I take the wrong option? If I go out and I attack an immigrant, what's going to happen? I may end up in jail. So that may be what I want to do, but it may not be in my best interest. Well, it's, a, it's like the, um, the three white gentlemen that decided to form a little group and and to protect quote unquote protect their neighborhood yes there was a man of color that was just jogging through and so they decided to take it upon themselves to be vigilantes or whatever and they ended up yep. they ended up killing him and uh so now all three of them have also been found guilty of that murder and are going to spend the rest of their lives in jail. They would have been much better served to handle their anxiety much differently than they chose to. Right. Yes, exactly. Or that woman who was that black man was walking her dog and she called the police. It's like, where's that coming from? So yeah. I, and in that situation, we can all say, well, you know, the woman was being really irrational and she was being kind of dumb. Well, yes, she was, but let's look at it from an emotionist tools perspective and let's validate her emotion. Validating doesn't mean I'm saying it's correct in the situation, but I'm validating it because all emotions give us information. She would have been far better served to have said, wow, that I don't like that man. He, I feel threatened by him. Okay, let me take a step back. 
that creates physical safety. And this is what people need to do with all their emotions, by the way, if you're going to learn to master emotions. Once you experience an emotion, you need to do two things. First of all, take a step back, even if whatever the emotion happens to be, and then take a deep breath. The step back gives you physical safety because it puts distance between you and the threat. The deep breath gives you psychological safety because it lowers your emotional arousal. Had she done that, then she could have said, okay, what's actually going on here? I perceive him as a threat, but he's not doing anything. He's nowhere near me. He's walking his dog. He's not doing anything. So maybe he's not the threat I perceive him to be. And if he is, I'm going to walk around him so I don't interact with him. And that would have been far more prudent on her part to do. Exactly. And and she would have been in the national news. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly correct. So what I'm trying to get here at, Kevin, is we look at her and we say, dumb woman. And, and that may or may not be. But I don't want to nullify the emotion. For whatever reason, she saw him as a threat. Maybe because he was a large black man. Maybe he because he was walking a small dog. I have no idea. But he was not a threat to her in that situation. So once she experienced the emotion, she then needed to assess that emotion for how to the degree to which it fit the situation in which she found herself. And she would have been far better off had she done that. I agree. I want to bring up one other another instance of of disagreements with people that can cause anger and high emotions. And that is with your significant other when you're having an argument and you're having a, a, a disagreement of some kind and the uh, it gets a little heated. Um, I, I encourage people to say to do this, to step back, listen yep. to what your partner is saying. And then before they you respond to, to that, you say, this is what I heard you say. Is that correct? And is that a good way of handling that and kind of diffusing the situation? It's excellent. And I would go one step farther because I have what I call a basic relationship rule. And it applies not only in spouses, but it implies it works just about everywhere. And that basic relationship rule says this, probably not the best way to describe it, but here's how it works. Everybody in every situation does the best they can, not the best possible, does the best they can given two things. One is their model of the world, how they perceive what's going on, and their skill sets. What are they capable of doing for dealing with what's happening? So when you say to your spouse, this is what I heard you say, am I correct or have I misunderstood? What you're doing is you're addressing both their model of the world, how they perceive what's going on, and your own. Because in most cases, it's not necessarily, sometimes it's a skill set. Sometimes a, a spouse doesn't know how to say what it is that they're experiencing or feeling. And that can be overcome as well. But when you step back, which is good, and you say, this is what I heard you say, it does two things. First of all, it diffuses the situation. Secondly, it takes puts responsibility on me. Have I misunderstood? It's not blaming the other person because what tends to happen in situations like that is this. One person says something and gets heated and yells. Now, I need to yell louder because I need to be heard. And they need to yell louder too. The trick to that is... You've been in my I, house. But, but here's the trick. 
When somebody's yelling at you, what do you do? You whisper back to them. It's counterintuitive, but this is why it works. You start here, they go here. Instead of you going there, you go down here and you whisper. You say, well, what is it that you said? And when you whisper, they now have to stop yelling at you because they want to hear what you've said so they can yell back. Once they've done that, now you can talk in a regular voice and you can say, this is what I heard you say. Was I in error? Or please help me. It's, it's a technique most people don't know. And it can be really disarming because you can it disarm the, the entire thing. I did have to ask you because I, I grew up, as my ex-wife did, in an emotionless family. Uh, in her case, they might have an argument on Sunday and then they might go to bed mad, but then nobody on Monday morning was allowed to talk about what happened Sunday. Oh, so nothing ever got really resolved and they didn't, they didn't talk it out and to figure out why Sunday happened on Monday. They just ignored that Sunday actually ever existed. And so consequently, when she came into my marriage with her, she was, she was not able to express her emotions or to even understand them because she yeah. wasn't accustomed to them. How do you encourage people to get into an understanding and working with their emotions when all she would do when I would say, talk to me in a real way, she would cry. And so nothing ever got, never, nothing ever got resolved. And I finally gave up. But uh, um, so is there, do you have something for us there? Yeah, I have a suggestion. What I would probably do in the, if I did, did you know, by the way, the history of her family? I did, but see, I came from an emotionless, emotionless family too. And so I, I overcame that because as if, if you know me, you know that I, I talk a lot and, and, and from a deep level, but uh, she w was not able to do that. I thought I could convince her to, to do that, but she never, it never took, she was never able to do it. Yeah. What, what I might do in that case, if she's crying and, and I knew what I know now, I might say, you know, crying suggests to me possibly sadness. And I might go with that. You know, I would say in your family, emotions weren't dealt with. So you may not know what you're experiencing in terms of an emotion. And that's totally okay. Let's start with how you and I can, can talk and make our situation better. Yes. And, and then I would go from making it better to just with the behavior, because we can deal with behavior. What was it that, that happened that wasn't acceptable that we can change? And then I would try and introduce emotions gradually over time. That that would make a, a world of sense. By the way, do you do you take clients? <laughs> I'm going to send her to you because maybe you can help her figure that, that part out. But by the way, we're talking with Edward Dobby and he is a PhD. He is the emotions doctor and he's got a couple of books out emotions as a tool of self, a self-help guide to controlling your life, not your feelings, which I think it would be a really good read. It and is on anger management is the second one. And I think that would be a really good read because you know, emotions, cause us a tremendous amount of pain over our life if we don't know how to handle them well. And by the way, he is going to be on positivetalkradio.net because it will be uh, the um, it will be the podcast that we're doing and this is also on YouTube. So you can refer to this on Positive Talk Radio on YouTube.
So, and I want to thank you, sir. You, you are really, really good at, at what you're talking about. And it's, it's awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoy the process. And no, I don't take clients because my wife says you're retired. You need to be retired and not take on more work. <laughs> well, I can tell you, you, you would have people lining up down the block because we've all got some sort of emotional stuff. And, you know, a lot of it is stuff that we've carried from when we were kids. And, and a lot of, I'll give you an example. I, in my world, in the way I am, if somebody comes at me and is angry with me, I have a tendency to flash back anger back, back mm -hmm. at them yep. without even thinking about it. That's, and which isn't very constructive. No, but it's understandable because that's what you as a man have been trained to do. That's true. Now, when, when your viewers go to my website, theemotionsdoctor.com, should they find themselves then, what I want them to do is I want them to go up to the upper left-hand corner and click on the index tab. The index tab will give them a drop-down menu, which gives them access to five categories. When they go to the category, let's say on anger, it opens up to all of my, the titles that I have written, over 200 now, but it gives them to all of the titles on anger, and they can one-click directly to the, the po podcast post, excuse me, to the um, blog post. So they don't have to go through all of them. They can they index tab, category, and post. So it gives them very easy access to whatever it is they want to learn to educate themselves about their emotions as tools so they can be empowered to then strategically deploy them. That that's 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 really that's really nice of you. That's really cool. That's that's <laughs> a way to way to get it organized so people don't get frustrated by going to your website. That's exactly correct. So and that's what that's why I did it. For for me, doing podcasts or doing my blog, that's how I do two things. One, it keeps me still in, with a, a foot, if you will, in this field of psychology, which I enjoy, but it also enables me to give back and, and educate others. And it doesn't and it, and it's not a job, so my wife doesn't get angry with me. <laughs> <laughs> which which is really cool because you know, I am recently retired and uh, I highly advocate that when you're done with your work work and your home, you cannot not do something. You must be engaged. Yes. So continue to be engaged doing something. And I think that's great for you. That's exactly correct. And, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, that many people have problems with retirement. Uh, my ex boss uh, had, he, he couldn't retire. He retired, but it almost killed him because he identified himself as Dr. Smith. And once he was no longer Dr. Smith, that identity was no longer his and he didn't know who he was. It took him two years to finally figure it out. So yeah, people that's people need to, when they retire, they need to figure out who they are and keep doing what interests them and motivates them, which is what I'm doing. Exactly. Exactly. And we need to, I need to have you back because I would really like to talk about your work with young women uh, that have had a lot of issues and are dysfunctional and, and all of that. Cause there are, as you know, in the research mm -hmm. that you've done, that most of us are more dysfunctional than not. Um, That's true. And so anything that we can do to to uplift that and help that. So will you come back and, and hang out with me again? Absolutely. Would love to. And I don't I don't know if, if you want to talk about suicidal thoughts and so forth. But if, you, if it comes up, we can talk about that as well. I would I would love to. That's a whole show, by the way. It is. Um, because I've witnessed two suicides, 
and one was with a 30 odd six 10 feet away from me and that he put underneath his chin oh my and, goodness and and quite literally blew his head apart i hope you uh, don't have survivor guilt I, well that would happen on fourth of july and i haven't particularly enjoyed that holiday ever since and that was in my early 20s we can so. talk about all of that if you want yeah i'm more than welcome to come back it's it's been enjoyable for me and fun and give me the link and we'll pick a date you got it now would, before we go i want you to be able to tell our audience anything you'd like and i'll just step aside and and uh let you let you go so uh this is the forum and the floor is yours sir Okay, I think it's important if you're viewing this to understand that no matter what you've been taught or haven't been taught about emotions, probably what you've learned is incorrect. Your emotions are just tools. You're entitled to feel whatever you feel. Once you've felt that, then you need to understand that your emotions give you information about your environment and they give you an opportunity to choose how you want to respond to that. So the difference between getting hijacked by your emotions and using your emotions as tools is educating yourself about what emotions are. My books and my blog will do that for you. So take the opportunity, educate yourself with about your emotions, become empowered to strategically deploy those emotions and you'll improve your life and your relationships. Remember you can do it and I encourage you to do it and all the best of luck. However, I can help in giving you the information I'm going to continue to do that. Avail yourself of it. And if you missed any part of this presentation here on Positive Talk Radio, you'll be able to go to positivetalkradio.net. You can now go to, as soon as this is over, you can go to uh, our YouTube channel, which is Positive Talk Radio, and he'll be right there. I All highly right. encourage you because emotions can be a very positive thing. They can also be very destructive. Um, and, and, uh, and we, we need to talk more about that. So, uh, Ed Dobby has been our guest and go get his books, emotions as tools, a self-help guide and beyond anger management, sir. It's been such a pleasure having you here. Thank you. Pleasure has been mine. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Okay. You wait right there. I'll be right back. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other, because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.